You are listening to the Hope Fellowship Church Podcast. To find more information about our church and ministries, check out our website at hopeandanderson.com. Now, this week's teaching. So today, we'll embark on a couple of weeks together as we work our way through the remaining portion of chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians. I know this is the chapter or the part of Ephesians that you have all been waiting on. I know that. I realize that. So we find ourselves there, meaning that we have one more chapter to finish this up as well after this. But perhaps chapter 5 is one of the more power-packed chapters of the book of Ephesians as we talk about this together. So I want to talk to you this morning about submission in marriage. And so I want to begin by I think pointing out some demographics of the room for a moment. So I realize in this room, boy, we are just on all places and points of the spectrum today when it comes to this subject. That some of you have working marriages, some of you have broken marriages as well. Some of you are divorced, some of you want to be divorced, some of you are living in the same home, but you are emotionally divorced. Some of you are struggling in your life today with gender identity issues. Some of you are struggling today with same-sex attraction. And I want you to understand that I'm not naive enough to think that we're all in the same place in this room today. I'm not. So I want you to just flavor everything that we're talking about today with great grace and the mercy of God on your life and the life of others as well. And to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Don't have the preconceived notion before we even begin that this is for someone else and this is not for me. Because if you're doing that, then you are closing off your heart and your spirit to, the, to God who has given these texts for all of us in this room this morning. So I encourage you to open your heart and your mind. Mark, you sound like you're giving a disclaimer before you start, right? You sound like it's the old saying of, you know, when my father used to discipline me, he would always say the lie to me, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, right? And, and you knew that that was not the truth at all. That's not what I'm saying to you uh, this morning. I'm saying to you, open your hearts and your minds and be very understanding and to, I guess, realize that we're all in a different place in our lives today and God meets us where we are. So let's talk about submission and marriage for this week and next week we'll talk about marriage as well together. And so I say that to you because I would really like you to come back again, right? And it is Mother's Day and we all are doing family dedication. Oh, I would like to tell you too something really awesome that next week we have 11 children and nine families. Isn't that amazing? 11 kids. Isn't that great? So thank you for being prolific. It goes very much with our teaching this morning. So just keep up the good work. So Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21, it's where we ended last week. So we tie all this together for the sake of context. And so Paul writes to us and he says to us, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we covered that, but I want to go back and do a little refresher because a lot of things have happened in your life this week. The word submit or submitting 
king is actually a military term that Paul uses. And, and the, the actual definition of the little, different, de, little definition of that is that under rank. And so what it means is this, is that when you join the military, that they first strip away some things about you and change the way you think. And what they strip away from you is this concept of individualism is what they do. And so recreating a new way of thinking that you are a member of a greater group, that you are, yes, still individuals, but you don't think in an individualistic way is what Paul is talking to us about. That before you even taught warfare, you were simply reconditioned in the way you think. And that's what Paul is talking about, you and I, about submitting to one another. Say, well, Mark, this is just about rank then and me doing and following orders. No, because what he's writing or who he's writing to, he's writing to all Christians. So it's not just a text about leadership. Yes, there is a place for spiritual authority in all of our lives. There is. But this is not the point of Paul's verse to us. But what I, what I thought, you know, how do I kind of lay this out for you to understand it before we get into this teaching this morning? And that is that it's one thing to have a bunch of privates who are submitting to a general or a higher ranking uh, person in the military. It's one thing to do that. That's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is this, it's a whole different story for a bunch of privates to submit to each other. That's exactly what he's saying. It changes the whole dynamic of all of that. So what he's writing about is submission in all of my relationships, everything that constitutes who I am. And so in this last part of chapter 5, he talks about, in in the first part of chapter 6, he talks about submitting in marriage, submitting in parental uh, involvement with our relationships with our children and parents, and that of vocational submission as well, and how we live our life on the job and outside of this building. And so it brings all these areas under Christ with an attitude of service. I think we can say... Oh, I understand about submitting all these areas of my life to Christ, but I have to add the piece that Paul intentionally puts here. And he says, in that of acts of service and our attitude of service within our lives. So that's what he means. And when you take that and you lay that over marriage, I think it helps you and I to understand the words that David read so capably this morning to you and I through verses 22 through 25. And when we paint it with that brush, we see it a bit differently. So let me talk to you about marriage for a moment. I think there's a couple of ways perhaps that we can see it or have seen it for years. We can look at it with an ancient view of marriage. Then marriage, you know, in in olden times, I guess you might say, was primarily functional or it was economical that you get married to procreate, to have children so that when you get old, you're going to have somebody to take care of you. You say, Mark, that's still my thinking, right? That's why do you think I have kids? That's exactly why. But that's kind of the ancient view of it. So you, if a woman, you marry a man whose family is wealthy, or if you man, are a man, you look for a woman with good birthing hips. Is what it is, right? Yes, yes. Now, I know that makes me very popular, okay, to just say that. But it was a way that you look at it. That's what marriage was about, But then if you look at a modern view of marriage, then it's about romantic fulfillment. 
It, it is about you look for the person that makes your dreams come true. You live happily ever after, just like you did on your European honeymoon. So that is exactly what marriage is about when it comes to a modern view. But then when you get to the book of Ephesians, it's neither of those. I think that's interesting, that it's neither of those. That when we read these verses and we look at them in context of verse 21, well, we realize that it's not about us. It's really about the gospel is what it's about. It's about mutual submission, not individualism is, is what Paul is saying. It's about Christ's likeness. That marriage is not a three-lane freeway, but marriage is a dirt path with some rocks in it. You're afraid to say amen, aren't you? Yeah, you're scared to death to do that. Right, yes, but it is true. I love what C.S. Lewis wrote in one of his writings called Four Loves, and he wrote about marriage, and he says, marriage is most like a crucifixion. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. Write that in the birthday card to your wife on her next birthday, right? Yes, it's really gonna score you some points. But when I thought about that, it does make some sense when, it, when, when we read what Paul is giving us this morning to study through. Now, I, I don't want to paint this real gloomy picture, so just hang on for a moment and let's get through all of this. But let me frame marriage for you for a minute. Let me say what marriage is not. Marriage is not the ultimate That's what I want you to hear this morning, that marriage is not the ultimate. Your children are not the ultimate. Your profession is not the ultimate. And that is what Paul is teaching us. Christ alone is the ultimate of our life. If you're living outside of Christ being the ultimate alone of your life today, then I want to tell you that your priorities are out of line. They are. And you need to really look at how you're living and how you're prioritizing. But let me tell you what marriage is. Marriage is a reflection of what is ultimate. That's exactly what marriage is. That is Christ's relationship with humanity. It is the gospel. That's why he says, wives submit to husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. So our marriage relationship with our children that of our vocation or our profession, all cast a shadow of the gospel is what he's teaching us. And anytime we strive to take those relationships out of those kinds of parameters that Paul gives us, then our life becomes extremely unbalanced and it results in even greater chaos than what we already have by just living in a broken world. We have these unrealistic and unattainable expectations of those Three relationships, when they're taken outside the gospel, they become very problematic to all of us in the room. And so when you paint this marriage very specifically without the brush of submission, then you're no longer painting a masterpiece, but you're painting a comic book. True. And I think perhaps some of you find yourself there today in your relationship as well. So Reba and I have been married this year for 44 years. 
And I want to thank her. She actually, she, she's here, okay? I know you're looking down maybe where she usually says she she's not here because she knew what you were going to preach on, right? And, and how you're going to have to probably be really honest about how you've failed at so many of these kinds of things, right? Now, she's here. She's with our granddaughter. But yet, I... I I want to say that we got married in our our junior year of college, and what I realize is that when you put two sinners together in the same house, there's going to be challenges, right? There's going to be challenges for sure. And no matter how much you love God, and no matter how much you love each other, that we... You know, Reba and I growing up, we didn't have those role models in our life for what a good marriage looked like, and we never had any counseling before we got married, so we kind of figured it out as we went. And when I began to read scripture, when we got married, what I realized, it had a lot to say about relationships and a lot to say about marriage. It had a lot to say about the defined roles of a man in a relationship, in a marriage relationship, and the defined roles of a woman in that relationship as well, and how that looked in the home. And, and what I realized, that I came down to this thought that, that I had to die to myself and I had, to love, I had to love her like Christ loved the church. And you say, Mark, that's pretty easy. But that's not an easy thing to do, is it? It's not. Absolutely not. And I want to thank Reba for her grace toward me over those years when I got it wrong so many times. And I did get it wrong. And I still get it wrong at times. And again, I thank her for her great grace and her great mercy in my life. But I am thankful. I am amazingly thankful for a very beautiful and a very strong marriage for 44 years. And it is working. And it is working by the grace of God. It is working. And I know it's working because when I come home in the afternoon, she's there, right? Yes. And I realize that it's working one more day at work, you know. So when I look at these verses, I have to paint them with mutual submission and what that looks like. Let me read those verses again to you this morning. Verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands. I love it how Paul puts there your own husband. What does that mean? That means a warning. Don't be submitting to anybody else's husband is exactly what that means, right? Submit your own husbands is to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything, should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And the women are saying, man, we get the really bad end of the deal here, right? Because we're having to submit to our husband. Well, God is calling men to die. So which one do you want, right? Submit or death? Your choice. You make the choice, but there it is. And I think when people want to say the Bible is antiquated, the Bible is misogynistic in its approach and sexist, then they go to these verses. These are the go-to verses that they use when they make those statements. Can you believe how backward the Bible is that it wants women to submit to their husbands? It's absolutely archaic. I think we have to remember what the Bible is and what it does in our life, that it is life and it's health 
and its strength. It's opposite of anything that ever harms you and I. But there are going to be things that we find in Scripture that we are not going to agree with and agree on. So I think we have a choice as we start this conversation today. And it's this, are we going to revise what we believe based on Scripture Or are we going to attempt to revise Scripture to what we believe? And I think that's the choice that you and I have during this study. Because I want to tell you, the Bible is offensive. Realize that. It does offend us because it speaks to us where we are living or what we think is truth. And it reveals truth to us. And it's always had an offensive edge to it. Understand that. Therefore, we always say at Hope Fellowship that context is everything. And when we see verses 23 through 25 in context with verse 21, we can understand what Paul is saying to you and I about submission. Because he says, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. So these verses are them verses. They are not just him or her verses. Understand that. This speaks to both genders. That Paul is making a very specific application to the wives of a principle given to both husband and wife. Realize that. That husbands and wives are both submitting to each other, yet just in different ways is what he's saying And this is the point that we can never separate from this imperative that God calls us to. That we're separating to one another just in different ways. And out of context, this text is trouble. And you say, Mark, even in context, it's going to be trouble, right? Yes, for some of us in this room. So why do we struggle with it so much? That's the thought. Why do we struggle with this so much in our life as as humans? I think to understand it, we have to start where relationships begin. And that is the beginning, the book of Genesis. Now, I always say this. You always know how much I love the book of Genesis. So I want to go to the book of Genesis. Because what this does, this goes to the very foundation of relationships, So if you're single, this applies to you. If you're married, this applies to you. And so it simply covers the entire room this morning. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. Underline this next part of this text. Because when you have a good understanding of what the writer is about to say. It gives you a clear view of marriage and relationships. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Hope Fellowship is doing a really good job at that. Thank you so much. Yes. 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over everything that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, for you shall have them for food. Can I talk to you about what it looks like to be image bearers of God? This is important to understand who you are. That the focus of this series has been your identity in Christ. So here it is, that you are an image bearer of God, that God creates man and woman both in his image. The idea, I think, of being an image bearer has been hijacked somewhat over years. What do you mean? I think when we hear that term, we say, oh, God has emotion, so I have emotion, you know? And God can be joyful, so I am joyful. And we look at those attributes, we apply it to ourselves, God has a will, I have a will, and we say, oh, that's how I'm an image bearer of God. You're not completely wrong, but you're not there where you need to be in the understanding of what he's saying. Because contextually, That's not what the writer is saying at all. But what he's saying is this, that we are God's representative rule in creation. Now, I want to explain that to you, what that means. That being God's representative rule in creation. It's why ancient rulers like Ramses of Egypt, he created statues of himself and placed them all over the nation of Egypt So he would remind people who they belonged to and who the land belonged to, that it belonged to him. As God's representative rule, we're reminders to the world around us that this world belongs to God, that God is the creator. And through my life and your life, we show the world around us that God is good and that God is gracious and that God is beautiful and God is forgiving and God is redeeming. That's why God created us in his image and for the purpose of that understand that that's what this is about and it goes on to say so god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them so i want to camp here for a moment and talk about this for a little while because i think the understanding of that verse from the book of genesis is a game changer when it comes to you understanding the biblical definition of marriage because here's what God does he divides up various dimensions of his image into two genders so that together male and female man and woman better reflect the image of God Well, Mark, I thought Adam was just lonely, right? I thought he was lonely and, and you know, he, he needed someone to, to snuggle with at night, right? And so that's, that's what this was all about. Can I tell you that some of that has to do with community? Yes, and we'll talk about that briefly. But much more about what it means to be an image bearer of God. And that is that we reflect who God is and the attributes of God in this world. 
and who this world belongs to and who the creator is of this world, that we reflect that as image bearers. In verse 18, the writer says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper. I underline that fit for him. And I know that sometimes you see the word helper and you think, oh, that's such a derogatory term toward women. But when I looked up the word Azar, the word Azar in Hebrew, it's a powerful word, but it has many different meanings as well, like some of our words that we have in the English language. But when I find it in Scripture, most often it talks about how God engages humanity. It's about how God engages humanity. It's the same word that is used in Psalm 33 and verse 20. And it says, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our helper and our shield. So a helper, when you look at it in this understanding and context, a helper cannot be inherently inferior. Understand that. That God places part of himself into the woman that the man needs to be complete and part of himself into the woman that, or the man that the woman needs to be complete, that we're incomplete without both genders. Both are necessary and both are interdependent. If we were the same, then one of us would, be, would not be necessary. God made both genders to be a more complete image of himself. Now, I want to talk about this for a moment. Because I, I think we need to understand this completely that there are males and females in this room and the two of you are not exactly the same. And that's more than just anatomically is what the writer of the book of Genesis is teaching you and I today. It's more than just that. But the creation of two genders was not just because Adam was lonely. It's not that at all. And if that were the case, then God could have just created him a bunch of buddies to hang out with, right? Or God could have given him a dog or whatever else, you know, or maybe even, and it pains me to say a cat, right? Or, or whatever, but yet, uh, <laughs> I had to say that for Rick. So here's the thing, right? But, but yet, he creates two genders for a very distinct purpose because it is a greater reflection of who he is as God, that God desired a greater reflection of himself on earth. Yes, it is about community. No doubt with Adam, it is. But yet, there is a greater meaning behind what God does that. And, and, and I began to read about all this and how to talk to you about this very sensitive subject today that how God better represents himself through two genders, men and women. Because gender is more than just, as Tim Keller says in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, it's more than just a social construct. Because some would say that, that God made male and female the same, and he just installed different anatomy. For males and females. So there was somehow one generic body and he installed different anatomical parts. 
so that you and I can change somehow the, the anatomy and we can change the parts and we can add some kind of hormonal treatment and we can change gender. Can I tell you this morning that our gender distinctions go deeper than just the parts. They go to the very core of who we are. That Jesus himself says... In the book of Matthew 19 and verse 4, from the beginning, God created us male and female. That our very genetics, our very cells, chromosomally, that we are stamped as being very different from one another. And whereas male and female, we are the absolute perfect, imperfect image of a good and a gracious and a loving and a redeeming and a forgiving and a kind God created as a more complete image of God to this world. So marriage is a monogamous relationship between a man and a woman to reveal a good and a gracious and a loving God to the world around us. Oh. I know that's heavy. But I, I want to say and speak truth to you this morning because I have to answer to God for not doing that. And I think before we talk about marriage, we can't dance around a definition for it. And it's important that we talk about that this morning. And I want to say to the room that I know there are perhaps different views of all of that in this room this morning. And so the, the, I think the overarching truth or what should take place today in our lives is that you open your hearts to this today and you open your minds and you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you that you don't take the word of God and you rewrite it just for the way in which you believe, but you look at it for the way in which it speaks to you and I in truth today. Because you are... As God's creation, the imago Dei is what the, word, the words are. That you are the image of God. You were created in his image for a very distinct purpose as male and female. And that is to be a complete image of God to the world around us. And what I realize is this, that any attempt to change that is is an act of sin like any other sin in our life, any other sin in our life, that it's an act of sin. Anytime we try to play the role of God within our own lives, it is sinful. And it's the very same thing that Adam and Eve did. It's the very same thing that we do when we try to take control of our lives. It's the very same thing we try to do when we tell God that we know better than he does and we make decisions that we know are displeasing to him. It's the very same thing. And I want you to see it in light of the Bible today and not what the world says to you. Because we said this last week, the world has its own agenda. 
And his agenda is always contrary to God's agenda. That you are the imago Dei, that you are the image of God, created in his very image, male and female, so you will cast a shadow of the gospel to the world around you, and they will see how good God is. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It says this, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bear forth children. And then in the middle of all of this, you know, God, because of his great love and mercy, he gives the common grace of the epidural, right? It's true, true, yeah, yeah. It shows you that God never forgets about us. You desire, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. What happened to mutual submission, right? It shows you how important it is because it's the very thing in which the enemy sought to destroy in the life of Adam and Eve. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, or out of it you you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. One of the most hopeful passages of text, and one of the most concerning passages of text that we can find together. It's about the curse of sin. And I thought, well, you know what? I've already jumped into this with both feet. Might as well talk to you about this, right? On top of all of this, that not only are men and women created differently, but they are cursed differently as well. Yes. And when I read this, what I realized that Satan understand who our adversary is, that he lacks any creativity. He has no creative power whatsoever so that he only can pervert the good things that God has placed in our life. So what he does, he takes those good things in the life of Adam and Eve, that of mutual submission and love, and he perverts them. And what does he do? He takes the man's servant leadership, and he perverts it into dominance is what he does. And he takes the woman's desire to complete her husband, and he turns that into something that's contrary to him. Can you see what? What happens in a relationship when you are no longer longer mutually submitting to one another in Christ? I think you can see that picture. It's very plain. And for some of you in the room, perhaps it explains why you are where you are today. Do something about it. We are. We're getting a divorce. That's not what I mean. No. Do something about this. Come together in in counseling and come together under the scriptures and realize that your marriage, your relationship is more than just about you being happy, but it's about casting a shadow of the gospel and who Jesus is. Understand that. And I'm not saying that it's easy. 
No, it's not easy. Ask Reba what it's like to live with me for 44 years, right? And you will understand that. Even C.S. Lewis says it resembles a crucifixion. Why? Because you have to die to yourself in order that your relationship would live and have vibrancy in life. And so what the enemy does, he takes what God has placed so powerfully in the, in the lives of Adam and even he subverts that. And the first thing it leaves is this mutual submission to one another. Why does he do that? Because the enemy wants, you know, he wants us to get divorces. He wants us to step out of our relationships. He wants us to redefine marriage. He wants us to do all those kinds of things. Let me tell you what the real simply goal of the enemy is he wants you to sh- he wants to shut you down as being an image bearer of Christ in this world that's it and when i read this text ephesians 5 and galatians 2 and verse 3 i realize and and i think that tim keller says it best that that paul is very vague here he's very vague at at the details of what it looks like of headship and submission in marriage he's very he lays a foundation but he doesn't give us any really good details as to what this looks like why because i believe it's intentional because i think it looks very different in all of our lives it has a lot to do with our personalities and who we are as individuals it really does but can i tell you what submission does not mean and i want you to hear me well Submission does not mean the inferiority of the woman. Now listen, it does not mean the inferiority of the woman. When you read Genesis chapter 2, it declares equality is what it does. Both male and female were created in the image of God. Go back to our teaching in the book of Galatians chapter 3. It is, and we realize that in Christ there is neither Jew or Gentile, free or slave, or what, male or female. He sees us both equally. The call to submit does not imply inferiority. Understand that. Look at the life of Jesus. Jesus was fully, he was fully God. Understand that. Fully equal to the Father, yet He chose to submit to the will of the Father. If anything makes us more like God, it's submitting to one another in Christ. Understand that. It's not an unconditional call to obedience either. Understand that. When it comes to your marital relationship, Because that makes your spouse God, and that's different than serving God. Realize that, that you draw the line, that of disobeying God or abuse in your life. So it is not the inferiority of woman, and it's not the dominance of man. Aren't you glad that I am an equal opportunity offender this morning? Aren't you glad of that? Yes, yes. But it's not the dominance of man. The husband is commanded to lay down his life for his wife. You don't sit in your lazy boy and demand your wife to wait upon you if she's a person that you love and respect and cherish to the extent that you're willing to lay down your life for her or you're laying down your life daily, you're dying daily for her good and to serve her. That does not add up with what I read in Ephesians chapter 5. 
It doesn't. For all the men in the room, I have a quote from C.S. Lewis for you. And I love this quote. So just kind of let it sink in for a moment. I think it's on the screen, perhaps. It says, The severest feminist need not grudge my sex, talking about not begrudging you being a male, the crown offered to it either in the pagan or in the Christian mystery, for the one is a paper talking about your role as a leader of your home and the other of thorns, and that is it is a call to sacrifice and to serve. So I think leadership is always marked by the question, how can I serve you? That's why I asked you to ask that question earlier. How can I serve you? Because isn't that actually the reflection of the gospel? So I have a question for you this morning. As we are getting to the end of this and everybody says, right? Are you imaging or reflecting Christ in your relationships? In light of what Ephesians and Genesis has taught us this morning, are you reflecting Christ in your relationships, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ? You see, Paul takes time in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians to talk to us about the gospel, a story I think that we take very much for granted at times. And the gospel is the story of how Jesus lived his life and how he gave his life. It is the ultimate story of submission is what it is. Paul says in Philippians 2 and verse 5, last verse this morning, have this mind among yourselves, he says. Have this mind among yourselves. What is he talking about? Continue reading. Which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being formed in human, or being found in human form, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Have this mind among you. We probably could have just read that text and just said that part of it and been done with all of this. But I think it gives us great context as what's being taught here. That Jesus is the model. And I'm most like God. I'm most reflecting God when I'm submitting to others. That's what he's saying. That I'm more like God when I am submitting to others and serving others. And here Paul gives us the specifics of marriage. What can I do to serve you? And I want to tell you from just Mark's standpoint, Mark has not always been successful in this area. But Mark, you're the pastor, right? And you have to have 
this perfect relationship with Reba. And I, I want to say to you, if you're looking for a pastor of a church that is perfect, then you probably shouldn't be at this one. I'm just going to say that right, right out front. And you probably shouldn't go to the one that you're going to leave us and go to or the next one or the next one. In fact, you're going to have a problem with yourself as well. So I realized that this statement or this question, how, how, can I, how can I serve you? Is what Paul is teaching us through all of this. Can you imagine the atmosphere that this creates in your relationship? that every day you just say that to your spouse. So how can I serve you? And then they're going to respond to you by, what do you want, right? Yes, right, perhaps. But maybe not. Maybe it redefines your marriage. Maybe it redefines your relationship. What I realized that our lives are two-dimensional. We have this vertical relationship with God and we have this horizontal relationship with each other. And we've taught this so many times that those two relationships, those two dimensions of our life are inseparable. So if they're inseparable and my relationship with Christ, that vertical relationship with God is worship, then wouldn't that make my horizontal relationship with my wife an act of worship as well? So how can I say that I'm following Christ and How can I say that I love God if I'm not submitting in love to that person that God has placed in my life as my spouse? And we can even paint that brush with your neighbor, with the person sitting next to you this morning. But what I realize is marriage reflects the gospel. That's why he says, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. It reflects the gospel. But Mark, I don't get anything in return from saying to my spouse, what can I do to serve you? Can I, can I say this to you? And I know this is difficult for all of us in this room, and this is where I end, I promise, that my joy is not determined by your response, but my joy is experienced in the act of service. 
that this is about Christ-likeness. That this is my identity. This is who I am. That I'm an image bearer of God. And I should live all of my relationships out in light of that. And especially my marriage. And so where do I start then? I think it starts with your relationship with God first. It it starts with your submission of you as an individual and who you are first. Because I believe that before you can be a lover of your spouse and do that well, then you must be a lover of Jesus. So let's start there. Let's start with your relationship with him. Because that's where it begins. You submit your life to him. And from that comes the fuel to submit to your spouse, for children to submit to their parents, for you to submit to your boss at work and those around you. Because I think some of you are trying to do this kind of backward, right? I'm going to do this in my marriage. I'm going to do this with my parents. And I'm going to do this on my job. And you find yourself running out of fuel very quickly. Why? Because the fuel of your submission in those areas is your submission to Christ. So let's begin there. So for a moment, would you bow your heads with me or take a posture of prayer today? You don't have to close your eyes if you don't want. That's fine. Just sitting there before God and in his presence and allowing him to speak to you. So I say to all of you in this room that I realize that these are difficult words. And there's so many other topics that I would love to have talked to you about today. But the rough thing is that verse 22 always follows verse 21. It's the way it goes. But I believe that this is why God wants you to hear. Because there's so much at stake here. And so if you find yourself struggling in these areas today, in marriage, divorce, separation, emotionally separated from one another, the worst thing you can do is after hearing this message to separate yourself from those that love you and care for you and especially to try to separate yourself from a God who loves and forgives and who never leaves you. So that's a lie of the enemy to run from. The call of God is to run to him. So for some of you, it's a time to run to him. 
For some of you in the room that, that you're struggling with this biblical definition of marriage, open your hearts and your minds to God. Don't run. Don't say, I will never come back here again. No, the door is never closed to anyone because that's not the way God works. We come as we are and the Holy Spirit works in our lives to change us. Oh, I realize some of these issues that we have just touched on today are deep and extremely complicated as well. And so I don't expect this one 45-minute teaching to answer all the questions. But what I do believe it will do is push you to God who does have all the answers. So lean into him this morning. Lean into him. Seek counsel and help. You are not on your own. You have God and you have us to walk this journey with you. So let me pray for you, Father. In light of your word, in the shadow of the direction of your word today, God, how oh, that you would challenge us challenge us in this area of relationships. Challenge us what it looks like to be an image bearer of you, God, in this world. God, may we ask the question, how are we best reflecting you to a world around us? And God, Convict us in those areas that we should be convicted in. And God, we celebrate in you those wins that we do have in you. God, I pray for those in the room that are struggling in their relationship this morning. And the enemy has told them that they're alone. God, speak to them. For those that are struggling with gender. For those that are struggling with the definition of marriage being between a man and a woman. God, speak to them as well. And God, that everything that is done is painted with a brush of great grace and mercy and love because we come to you as we are and we make room for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. So work in us today, Father, for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's teaching. We hope you have a great week.